Welcome to All Turns and No Breaks with Dan and Renee. This isn't an ordinary show. This is NASCAR Talk for fans by fans. Hey, NASCAR fans, welcome back to another episode of All Turns No Breaks with Tam and Renee. I am Renee, and she is Tam. Hey, Renee, what's up with you? How you doing, Miss Tam? You doing okay? No, I'm hot. (laughs) That makes two of us. We're having a crazy heat wave in California right now. Renee's used to this kind of heat because he goes to Las Vegas every weekend. In fact, I text Renee a couple of days ago and was like, hey, are you in Vegas? Because... I know if it's hot, like it's literally been about 102, 103 where I live at, and I live closer to the beach than Renee does. So if it's 102 where I live at, where Renee lives at is usually about 10 degrees or so hotter. And sure enough, it was. But I mean, he's used to it because it's the Vegas way. In Vegas, (laughs) it's usually 115, 120 around this time. Yeah, that sounds about right. And you know, I was supposed to go to Vegas this weekend and I didn't end up going. And it seemed like I was there anyway because of this this heat wave we got going on. It it was just ridiculously, disgustingly hot, Tam. And you're right. It was 112 over here where I live. It was hot in Daytona. But a different kind of hot. But before we jump into Daytona, we have a special guest on the line. We like when we have special guests. And this guest, I went on his podcast a couple of years ago. So he will always have a special place in my heart because he allowed me to come on his podcast and talk Daytona. But when I went on, it was actually the Daytona 500 a couple of years ago. Without further ado, I'll let him introduce himself. Go ahead. Hello, All Turns No Breaks family. This is Don DeLorente of the CSPN of Know the Score. I'm very honored to be here with Tam and Renee. Awesome, Don. It's good to have you. And we appreciate you coming and taking the time away from your own busy schedule to be on our show. And we, we thank you for being here. Oh, man. Thank you guys for inviting me. Uh, this has been a couple of years in the making, and I'm just glad we can make it happen. Yeah. So before I want people to know where they can find you, give all your social media handles a shout out, give your podcast a shout out, all that good stuff. So we can jump right into some Daytona talk. All right. Thank you, Tam. Uh, you can find everything first and foremost at cspn.us that's where all the podcasts can be found that's where the sports podcast know the score can be found that's where tam was a guest a couple of years ago to talk some daytona but we have more on know the score than just sports we have you know ratchet tv talk we have comic book talk we have wrestling podcasts we have ladies talking football so come to cspn.us that's the main hub and then you can follow me on twitter at don delarente that's D-O-N-D-E-L-A-R-E-N-T-E. And you can also follow all things at the CSPN at CSPN Media on Twitter. Perfecto. So I want to say this about Don. He always offers some insightful analysis of what's going on with NASCAR. And almost every week he participates in our hashtag NASCAR talk. That's on Mondays, hint, hint, at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Twitter. And you guys already know the score. Our Twitter is at TurnsNoBreaks, same as our Instagram, as well as our Facebook account. 
And we actually started a private Facebook account because we want to get the party started on Facebook. I just haven't figured out how to invite people. So that's <laughs> another story. I'll tell you guys about that next week. Or if you are subscribed to our newsletter, you'll probably get an email telling you to join. But let's jump into some Daytona talk because I want to join in on everybody's frustration with Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Oh, but wait, before we before we go there, of course, I got to give you guys the top 10. But actually, this week is going to be a little bit more than the top 10. I figured we would do the top 13 only because there was thir- there were only 13 cars when all <laughs> no <kidding. laughs> when it was all said and done. It was only 13 cars on the lead lap at Daytona for the Coke Zero Sugar 400. Here are the 13 cars and drivers. As you guys know, Eric Jones, the young guy, and I'm going to let Don talk about this in just a second because I know he is a fan of all the young drivers. Mm-hmm. Eric Jones came in first, Martin Truex Jr. second, A.J. Allmendinger third, and I was actually glad to see A.J. Allmendinger in third because we got a chance to see him in the media room and he has a great personality. Casey came fourth, Chris Busher fifth, Ty Dillon beat his brother and came in sixth, Matt Kenseth, okay. Did we hear Matt Kenseth's name at all? No. But I don't he think came, so. <laughs> he came in seventh. Ryan Newman in the number 31 came in eighth. Austin Dillon brought the number three to a ninth place finish. And Alex Bowman, who started the race from the front row because he was second behind his teammate, his Hendrick Motor Speedway teammate Chase Elliott in qualifying, he came in 10th. The other three people in the 13 were Jeffrey Earnhardt. He came in 11th. Brendan Gone. I just want to get Brendan Gone in the media center because he has such a great personality, but we never get a chance to see it because nobody ever talks to him. But he came in 12th and DJ Kennington came in 13th. That was the top 13, as in the 13 people who were on the lead lap at the conclusion of the race. But get this, I just want to take, give me two minutes, because I think it's going to take me two minutes to read these names. These are all the people who did not finish the race. So not they were a lap or two behind, they were done. They were out of the race because of accident. In the first wave of people that were done, we had Kyle B, as in Kyle Bush, Chase Elliott, Daniel Suarez, Brad Keselowski, Kurt Bush, Denny Hamlin, Joy Logano, and Ryan Blaney. They were wiped out in the first accident or in the first, you know, at early on. I think it was roughly a, somewhere between 52 and 50 lap, 55 laps in. Those guys were taken out. Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay. Second wave of guys included Michael McDowell, who was actually running pretty well. Eric Amarola, Paul Menard, Kyle Larson, and Jamie McMurray. Okay. And then kind of like the final group. And again, Not all these people were in one accident, but I just kind of grouped them up into who went out where. The final group of guys that day was done because of an accident was Kevin Harvick, Trevor Bang, Clint Boyer, Jimmy Johnson, who actually led a couple of laps and everybody got their hopes up high. I know, I saw that. (laughs) I was like, "Uh uh-oh, I go, there's the 48. Wow, hadn't seen that in a while. And then that didn't, that, that ended pretty quickly. Okay, and if you were wondering, I did miss a couple of names. 
but that not to say they aren't anybody, but I just kind of read off the names of drivers who we kind of expected maybe. And I mean, you know, as Daytona, so you can't expect much, but I've read off the drivers who are contenders, not necessarily those who are in equipment who who weren't really going to do much anyway. I don't know. That came out real funky. Y'all know what I meant. I just read off the guys' names who you guys hear every week. Okay. Tam sounds like Bubba Wallace at the media center. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but you know what? I have a tendency to put my foot in my mouth a lot. But hey, I wouldn't be Tam Bam if I didn't say it how it is. So on that note, that is the top 10. And well, actually, excuse me, that's the top 13. And that's the top 20 of drivers who didn't finish because that was probably about 20 drivers right because it was 40 in the field so yeah it was quite a few of them because and you're right i mean a lot of the big big name big contenders were were just they they were out of it and um i mean obviously that 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 gives the open door to uh somebody like you know like a young guy like eric jones to go ahead and take the i mean it's basically kind of what happened i think at the very beginning of the year when we had Austin Dillon went in it uh, at the very get-go. So, I mean, Eric Jones just took advantage of what what everybody else gave him, and congratulations to him and his team. Uh, Well-deserved. Before I let Don jump in, I just want to say the difference between Eric Jones and a lot of the other young guys is that, let's face it, every week he's kind of up there in the top 10. So he's somewhat of a contender, and he's in great equipment. It was somewhat expected that someday soon, he was going to get his first win. Now, of course, we're still waiting on Chase Elliott to get that first win, but that's a whole nother story. So, Don, jump in. Let us know your thoughts on what took place. Well, uh, first and foremost, I've, yeah, I've been an Eric Jones fan since the Xfinity days. Um, you know, I thought that he got a great chance to get some experience last year by kind of being uh, Martin Truex's teammate in the Furniture Row second car that Joe Gibbs basically funded. So he got a chance to be in some, you know, pretty good equipment, maybe not the best that he's in like this year, but at least he got to understand kind of how they work and how they do things on the Joe Gibbs side. And uh, like you said, he's been running consistently near the front. He's uh, actually, you know, pretty well in the points as far as the playoffs goes before he won last night. So, you know, you could kind of see it coming. You kind of get in the top 10 and then you get in the top five and then you win a race. But like, you know, uh, Renee said with Daytona, it's always a wild card. You have guys wrecking out and, you know, whoever can kind of survive at the end and be the boldest. That's the way you win at Daytona. That's the win. That's the way these young guys have to win because they don't have experience. So the only way you can counter experience is to be bold and kind of like Kyle Larson last week. You know, he, he threw it in there doing something bold. He didn't try to, you know, rely on his experience or wait on Kyle Bush to make a mistake. He was like, I got to go win it. So let me go win it. And that's what Eric Jones did last night. Casey Kane went about a lap too early because he actually made the winning move, but he just did a little bit too early and uh, give a big shout out to Chris Busher because he pushed uh, Eric Jones up there and he was up there all night. I was like, who was in that 37 car? Because <laughs> he was always in the top four, top five, like all night. And I could never see who was driving it, but I watched the replay today. And, uh, yeah, give a big shout out to Chris Busher because, man, he didn't really get the finish that he deserved. He probably should have been second or third at worst because, man, he was right there in the mix all night. Even when the, uh, you know, the top car, Stenthouse, and all those guys were up there in the front, he was in the mix still. So big shout out to Chris Busher. Well, you said two things I wanted to touch on. Of course, one being Stenhouse Jr. 
And the other one was just the standings. It kind of triggered. And I was like, you know what? Let me give you guys a quick update. Not that you can't go read it, but since we're talking about it, it kind of puts things in perspective. So as of today, the standings are as follows. These are 16 drivers that would be in if the playoffs started today. Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, Martin Truex Jr., Clint Boyer, Joey Logano, Air Jones, and Austin Dillon, who all have wins. Of course, Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick have five wins each. And then there's Brad Keselowski, Kurt Busch in ninth, Kyle Larson 10th, Denny Hamlin 11th, Eric Amarola, Ryan Blaney, Jimmy Johnson, Chase Elliott, and Alex Bowman takes the 16th spot. And the later guys are, that I read later in the list are because they have enough points because maybe they've won stages or what have you. Ricky Stenhouse Jr., for all the bumping and demolition and wrecks that he caused, he's still out the playoffs if they started today, which is crazy. <laughs> but he does have those two stage wins. He's right on the bubble at 17th. And then he's followed by... Paul Menard, who's in 18th, Ryan Newman, who's in 19th place, and Daniel Suarez, who's in 20th. So I want to ask both Renee and Don your opinion. Did Stenhouse cause at least two of those accidents? What are your thoughts? And Don, we'll start with you since you are a Yeah, guy. go ahead, Don. Okay, the first one, maybe not so much because you got a case of a young guy out front, William Byron, first time in front of the pack at at Daytona in the uh, Monster Cup Series. And Brad Keselowski's coming up on him, uh, and Stenthouse is trying to push him by. So that was just kind of a racing deal, you know, inexperience in the front. The second one, though, yeah, that's definitely Stenthouse. I mean, he's being aggressive. Roush Fenway hasn't had the best equipment except for on the restrictor plate tracks in the last couple of years, and he's been their guy, and he's won two out of the last three. So, you know, he's doing everything he can to get that thing out front and keep it out front. And, you know, his aggressiveness won him two stages. It won him, like I said, two of the last three. So, you know, he just kind of caught guys in bad positions. It seems like it used to be turn two. They used to get guys all messed up. But now it seems like it's a trioval that coming out of that trioval right there, you can get away with one bump. But once you bump the second time, it seems like it causes uh, guys to get sideways and, and big wrecks happen. So, um, you know, I can't fault him to be aggressive. You know, this is his, you know, one realistic chance to, you know, win a race with the equipment he's in. So, you know, he's got to take the chances, just maybe not at lap 55, maybe at lap, you know, 155, you would think you would start doing that. That That's a good take there. I, I, I'm, I'm going to have to agree with probably, you know, both, both of those statements too, as well. Like I, I, I understood the first wreck. I'm like, all right, you know, uh, I, I didn't really see much of st- that being Stenhouse, all Stenhouse fault. But the second one, yeah, I'm going to agree with that too. That you know, I think the the crazy thing is, and Tam, you you said this er, um, a little bit uh, earlier, uh, just a few minutes ago, when you were reading off, you know, the guys that finished and the guys who did. But I'm thinking to myself, you know, here's this guy involved in two of the the main wrecks in this race, and then he doesn't even get to finish. And I'm thinking to myself, man, like you know, he has to be disappointed, obviously. But the great thing is, is that his aggressiveness is, I think, is is something that I like it as well. But but the over aggressiveness that caused the second wreck, I'm kind of like in a point of view where I was like, you know, that that's really kind of screwed up to kind of like kind of be that aggressive to the point where you're like you you take out like almost the entire field, not just once but twice. And so it, the second wreck 
makes the first one just look at just as bad, even though it wasn't his fault. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it makes perfect sense. And I'll just co-sign on what both of you guys just said with a quote from Daniel Suarez. Daniel Suarez said, and I'm quoting him exactly. He said, it's a shame that the number 17 raced like that. It's not the first time that has happened. It's just not very smart for lap 55 or so. It's still a long ways to go. I don't know. I mean, half of the field is out. So it's a shame. And to your point, Don, you got to race to win. You know, you guys know me. The listeners know me. I'm feisty. And I believe you race to win. But I think there is a way you race to win where you race hard, but you also are smart. And there's nothing smart about making those type of moves at lap 55 at Daytona. Well, that comes to the discipline that is plate racing. It's a whole different discipline than every other style that they race on road course, mile and a half, short track, because you have to be aggressive, but patient. And it's kind of like two things that don't go together with driving a race car. But I'll give you an example. Jimmy Johnson used to be one of the worst restrictor plate racers in the series when he first got (laughs) in the series. And man, he wrecked Dale Jr. at Daytona. I mean, he wrecked him at Daytona, then he wrecked him at Talladega in the same year. And that's kind of what started the, you know, Dale Jr. fans against Jimmy Johnson. But Over the years, he has become one of the better restrictor plate racers because he has figured out that fine balance between being patient and being aggressive. And the only way you can get it is, unfortunately, by wrecking people. So, you know, I think that's kind of what Stenthouse Jr. will kind of reevaluate where at Talladega, maybe he could make that move at lap 60 in Talladega when they come up in October. But he'll let it go past and ride 10 more laps before he tries something else, you know, just because he, you know, or it just depends on if he wants to, if he embraces the villain role. Now, if he embraces the villain role, he'll just step out there again and say, you know, didn't shake it off and say, I'm going to race like that every time I'm in that type of situation. Don, I just want to add one thing to what you said about maybe that'll fly at Talladega. Talladega is also a bit wider. You have a little bit more room to make some silly moves, if that makes sense, at Talladega versus Daytona. Daytona, you can get away with three wide, but you can't get away with four wide. And not saying that this is what he was doing, but I'm just trying to paint the picture that there's more room because I believe, and I'm not a historian of track sizes, but I think that Talladega is a little bit more wider, if I'm not mistaken, than yeah, Talladega. Yeah, like then Daytona. Just like a four-lane highway compared to like a two-lane <laughs> road, which is what Daytona is. It's a good description of that. I do want to share maybe two more quotes, and these are from drivers. Well, Kyle Petty used to be a driver. He's no longer a driver. He's an analyst. But Kyle Petty said, quote, the storyline here is we have a great finish or a great winner in Eric Jones, but the storyline coming out from other drivers is going to be what they say bad about Ricky Stenthouse. And that was from Kyle Petty. And then, of course, Kurt Busch weighed in. And you know what? I need to check because I'm sure Kyle Busch has something to say on Twitter, too. But Kurt Busch took to Twitter and he said, thank you to everybody at Stewart House Racing. Car was fast. Sucks, sucks. We got caught up in the stint house DD and he put in parentheses demolition derby, but it's a product of him being 17th in points and racing for every point. 
Now, that kind of was a subliminal, as you know, we would say on, should I say the black Twitter? But if you're on Twitter, you know, it's black Twitter, it's NBA Twitter, there are various Twitters. So black Twitter would say, you hit us with the sub, and as in the subliminal. And I think Kurt Busch, that was a sub tweet, but it was spelled out. Like, dude, you're racing like a maniac because you're in 17th position, you know, you're 17th in the point standards. But then, Renee and Don, you can chime in on this. Maybe I'm reading a little bit too much into it, but maybe he's kind of like uh, about the point system. What do you guys think? Go ahead, Don. No, I, I don't think so. I think he's just saying that it's a product of the points that, hey, if you're in 17th, 18th, and you come up to Daytona, this is a race where anybody can win. And he had a car that was near the front and he had a car that was good out front. So he was doing what he thought he needed to do to, you know, secure that spot and get that win. You know, it's only a very few places that the guys who run from 15th through 25 can actually win a race. And, you know, this is one of them. And when they have a good enough car to do it, with the right amount of aggression, this is what you get. And sometimes it turns out on the bright side and the right side. And then sometimes you have to kind of take your bullets today if you're Ricky Stenhouse because your aggression, you know, stepped over the line. Now, if he does all this, guys wiggle, don't get out of shape, and he just drives around them on the outside and hard charges to the wind, everybody's like, man, that Ricky Stenhouse was so aggressive last night. It was good for the sport. You know, it made for some good racing. It was entertaining. He was getting in the guys, but they weren't wrecking, and it was made for good racing. But because they wrecked, he's got to take the negative. So that's how I see it. I think that's right on the head, too, man. I, I think he had an agenda of, of what he was going to do before the race even even started. But but he's he's taking the bullet. You know, I mean, I'm not saying he went out there and admitted that he was, you know, driving aggressively in the sense of like he was trying to wreck people. But I think he just did exactly what he had to do because of the of where he was in the standings. And you know what? Out of all the other drivers, Ricky just kind of grabbed it by the horns and went, you know what? All right. Well, let me be the aggressor. And unfortunately, he didn't even get to finish. But I think it was just a plain and simple of him just being where he was in the standings and then just trying to trying to win a race that anybody could have. Chris Buescher could have won. I mean, anybody could have won that race. But he rolled the dice. That's what happened. Okay, I don't know if you guys got a chance to read the article on autoweek.com it was matt weaver you guys are familiar with matt weaver but he basically said or he wrote an article that says why the coke zero 400 was a desperation race and he added some quotes from ricky stenhouse william byron and a few other people and it kind of piggybacking off of his article and what we're talking about it is kind of somewhat a desperation race would you guys agree because it is the one time that I won't say what kind of equipment you in, you're in doesn't matter, but it is the one race, you know, Daytona Talladega that you can win. Right. Okay. If NASCAR season was a deck of Uno cards, there's four wild cards in there, and there are the two races at Talladega and the two races at Daytona. Now, you know, as you do, Tam, every week with your top tens and your trends of winners and stuff, you kind of get a. There's different courses for different horses. But every time you do that, you know, super speedway, you get some different names up there because of the variables of the wreck. So I just think that if you're in a position where you're in the back half of the standings, when you go to the Daytona 500, when you go to Talladega in April, and when you go to Daytona in July, 
those are probably the three races that you circle and say, if, you know, we can get into the playoffs as a 20th, 15th through 20th team, this is where I'm going to have to drive my hardest and do my craziest driving to try to make it work. Because realistically, it can happen if I can put myself in the right position to make it happen. And that's what Eric Jones did last night. I think he was going to win a race sooner or later, but I'm glad that he won Daytona. It was a little bit crazy, but great win for the young guy because who doesn't want to say that they won at Daytona? Right. I guess we're all in agreement to some respects that, yeah, Stenhouse caused those accidents, but it was just racing. Yep. Or you feel different, Don? Oh, no, man. That's restrictor plate racing. They're going to go tear some things up. I mean, everybody knows that. It's just weird that we've been conditioned for so long that these type of accidents don't happen at the front that, you know, you get up front. It's a little bit calmer. Guys know what they're doing. They're not going to be to take as many risks early in the race. But if you get caught in the middle of the back, you know, you're in a bad spot. Well, here lately, it's been, you know, the front of the pack that's been kind of wiping everybody out. So that's, <laughs> that's kind of different the past couple of races. I thought it was actually pretty crazy because even when you think about Martin Truex Jr. strategy, at one point, he kind of hung loose in the back. And usually, like you just said, we all know that when you're in the front, you typically avoid all the the drama. But it just really was the opposite of everything that we've come to know about strategy at restrictor plate racing or restrictor plate track. And I do want to add, if you guys didn't know, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. needed a police escort. I don't know why, because who was really going to do something to him? We know Kyle Busch is a fighter. Kevin Harvick is a fighter. Have we ever seen Ryan Newman throw a punch? We know he gets huffy and puffy, but... I don't think we want to see Ryan Newman throw a punch. <laughs> yeah, but it kind of was like... I don't know. I, don't, I won't say it wasn't necessary. People were angry. Brad was angry. But we know this about Brad, too. He was more yeah, angry was at William vocal. Byron than he mm -hmm. was at Ricky Stenhouse Jr. And he's not going to throw a punch. He's He's very quick-witted and swift with his words and he's a wordsmith when it comes to telling you how he feels but he wasn't gonna do much I, at least i don't think so so you're calling him the so the drake of nascar i'll go with that i'll definitely go with that i didn't hear you don oh i called uh brad kaslowski the drake of nascar oh yeah that's what you described <laughs> him as yeah that's about to sum it up you know <laughs> yes. i that's just my my opinion now what was interesting did you guys, well, you guys watched the race. I'm sure you saw. What was interesting is I would have wanted to be a little bug flying around Kevin Harvick and Clint Boyer at the end when they were taken out and they were walking down the track to see what they were talking about. Like, I don't feel like Harvick or Boyer was that mad. In fact, I thought at one point it looked like Harvick had a little smirk on his face to something that Clint Boyer may have said when they were walking. They're probably laughing about how close they were to probably getting together and, and finishing first and second. Yeah. Because no. <laughs> besides Martin Truex, they, they had the two fastest cars at that point in the race. I guess at some point you just understand that it's just <laughs> it's just Daytona. So what can you do? OK, what do we need to talk about? Oh, you know, well, I feel like I, I don't know what else we can say to Daytona. It was what it was. Oh, I, I guess I can ask you guys this really quick before we move on. Did you think it was a good race? I didn't hear the question say that again. Did you think Daytona was a good race? I thought it was a pretty decent race. The race started, I think, just kind of like any other normal race. You know, you're just kind of there. You're watching it. Uh, up until right after Paul Menard went off, 
to the side and then was able to get back to the to pit road and, and try to get his car taped up. You know, I think right after that, it started to get pretty interesting at that point, because I, and then I think a little bit after that is when everything kind of just started to, to, to happen. But uh, I didn't have a problem with it. I was pretty entertained. How about you guys? I love the way that the stages play out now because, you know, the guys can race and get in their positions and jockey. And then they can take it up against the wall for, you know, 15, 20 laps. But then those last four or five laps, you know, we get a good race to the flag. So I, I, I thought it was a good race. I, anytime that they race at Talladega and Daytona and they don't just ride up against the wall, it's a good race to me. And you need guys like Stenthouse, even though he calls his wrecks, you need guys that are willing to pull out and not just go with the flow and make things happen. Those are the guys who make those different lines move and go forward. If they don't, do what they do then you get the race like you get for parts of it where they just kind of get up against the wall and everybody just this one big line following the leader lap after lap after lap after lap so you know it is what it is as far as the wrecks go but guys like stenthouse guys like jamie mcmurray um guys like uh larson you know they make the those restrictor plate races real exciting of course i thought it was a great race because as i always say it's not that i love restrictor plates it's that i enjoy the racing that is produced on super speedways. Of course, I thought it was a great race. Now, I did think there were some excessive accidents. And of course, it's Daytona. That's what you get. But I thought some of the accidents were a little bit excessive. And I guess we have Ricky Stenhouse Jr. to thank for those or not think. I don't know, however you feel. But yeah, no, I, I thought it was a great race. I do want to read one last comment because I thought this was actually funny. Sherry Pollock, somebody tweeted and said, did Martin survive that one? Ugh. And she responded and said, yes, at this point, I think if you just ride in the back and don't get hit by the number 17, you'll win. <laughs> Sometimes the wives will let it all hang out and let you know what they really feel. And she kind of let everybody know how she really felt. I feel bad for Ricky Stenhouse because... I don't think he really, those were his intentions, but I don't know. We can talk about it for days. We'll just see. As Brad Kozlowski pointed out, there's payback coming at Talladega, but I think he was talking more towards William Byron than Ricky Stenhouse Jr., but expect to see some payback. I don't think we, we'll see it next week in Kentucky, but drivers sometimes have a long memory about things. Tim, what? One more thing before we move on from Daytona. I'm sorry, but just want to give a big shout out because I've been down on them the past like year and a half. Give a big shout out to Hendrick Motorsports because um, all their drivers led at the beginning of the race. They were one, two, three, Jimmy Johnson, Chase, and um, oh man, I can't even think of not And Bowman were all, you know, chasing the lead. Bowman second, Jimmy Johnson third, leading them around, looking pretty good. So they've been qualifying a little bit better, been practicing a little bit better. So I just want to give a, a big shout out to Hendrick Motorsports. So it's like they're trying to kind of help Larson, uh, you know, put some more Chevys in the top 10 and uh, contend for some wins. Definitely shout out to Hendrick. I was actually happy for them. I mean, with Chase being on the pole, Alex lining up next to him in second, and Jimmy started from the P4 position. I thought it was a great day for them. I mean, it didn't turn out to be like that. Although, it, to me, it was a, a great day for them because Jimmy led some laps. We haven't, I mean, the crowd went wild when he was leading the laps. We haven't seen that in a long time. Now, I don't want to be negative, but 
like I tweeted and said, Eric Jones has a win. How many wins does Chase Elliott have? We would have expected to see Chase with his first win by now. And he still doesn't have it. So it's something to be said about that. It's really kind of crazy to look at Chase Elliott and scratch your head and go, how is this kid not have a win? <laughs> like, you're like, dude, this, it seems like Chase Elliott should have like numerous wins already under his belt. And it's amazing because he's a, he's a good driver. It's just crazy. Tam, I think um, I know you're a big fan of Formula One. And I think that Chevy has kind of been the last team to kind of embrace this where Ford has kind of done it this year and it started last year. Toyota's been doing it where they're all one team. Like if you drive a Ford, everybody figures out what makes them go fast and everybody gets it. Now, just because you put Kevin Harvick set up in Brad Keselowski's car doesn't mean it's going to go fast with Brad Keselowski driving it, but they all have the technology and the information. I don't think Chevy has gotten to that point. I think they're about to start to get there where it seems like Larson has had something that nobody else has had for the last year and a half. And it seems like now everybody else in the Chevy groups, especially Hendrick anyway, they're starting to kind of pick up on it and they're getting to where now they're at least practicing and qualifying well. And now they just got to make sure that they get it in the race. But I think they're kind of getting on board with this, you know, if the manufacturer is the team and then you're kind of like a franchise underneath it. Speaking of Formula One, did you guys, did you watch the race, Don? No, Tam, I don't get up that early. Sorry. Oh, it wasn't up that early. It was only on like regular time, like morning time when you're going to work. Okay, well, uh, okay. You, you're messing up what I was going to say. It was actually great because Lewis Hamilton, basically Kimmy took him out like on the first lap and they both, well, Kimmy served a 10 second penalty and Lewis was like all the way back in like 18th position, but he raced all the way back to second place. Of course, Sebastian Vettel won, but Kimmy came in and Kimmy came in third and then Hamilton came in second. So, okay. Nobody watched. Nobody hears. Do you watch <laughs> NBA? Oh yeah, of course I watch NBA. Okay, occasionally we talk a little bit about the NBA on this show. I do want to make one comment. Did you guys read about apparently Ty Lue is supposed to be talking to, what's the coach for the Lakers, the young boy? Uh, why can't, I forgot his Luke name. Walton. Yeah, Luke. He's supposed to be talking to Luke Walton about how to coach LeBron. And I was like, why? You're another coach in the NBA, first and foremost. Two, you couldn't coach LeBron. So what the hell are you going to share with Luke? I just thought it was baffling. I don't know. Did you guys read that? Nobody cares. I don't know. I did not read that, but I can't imagine why that would even happen. I can't imagine if that was actually the case, why another coach would call another coach and, and give him pointers on how to coach a specific player. Or That doesn't make any sense. They're actually homeboys. They were teammates on the Lakers. So they kind of go deeper than just, you know, coach, coach. But you have an obligation. I about that. That's true. Once you become. I know they're not in the same conference, but you don't share information like that. And and what what triggered all this is when you started talking about Chevy, how they share information, blah, 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 or they need to get better at sharing information. And it just kind of, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that article. I personally think that we're on the same team, then yeah, we share information, but it kind of goes back to last week with Kurt Busch and Kevin Harvick when he was like, and that's, that's the teammate. And he was a little shocked that Kevin Harvick pulled the move on him. 
I mean, at some point, we're both trying to win. So is it still, yeah, we're teammates? Like, at some point, what is the cutoff between let's be teammates and share everything versus, okay, we're teammates, but we're both trying to win? And with Ty Lue and Luke Walton, I don't care if you have history. And I mean, I guess it's a little bit of separation because they're both in different divisions. But you're a coach in the NBA. What are we talking about? A player who used to play for me. Now he's your headache. You deal with it. You figure it out. That's all that I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, that was my point too. I mean, I, I know that they're good friends on and off the court and, and away from, away from the game. But yeah, I kind of agree with that too. I'm like, uh, that's your problem now. You, you figure that, you figure that out. <laughs> I'm not going to help you. I want to switch gears a bit and talk about what's going on in NASCAR. There were two articles that came out that pretty much talked about all the problems with NASCAR. One of them was from Dave Moody, the godfather of motorsports, as he has termed himself to be. His article pretty much talked about what's wrong with NASCAR. He talked about some of the things that the sport is facing in terms of major problems. And you know what? I'll just read one little sentence. He says, the sport faces major problems that unfortunately will not be solved by minor corrections in course. And while it's easy to identify those problems, solutions are tougher to come by. Now, on the heels of that article a couple of days ago, CNBC also published an article that stated, or the title was, here's what went wrong with NASCAR. Personally, I thought the CNBC article was ill-timed only because what we're in the second week of NASCAR on NBC. And again, I know NBC Sports, NBC Network versus CNBC are all different, but they are all the same because they're NBC. I personally thought the article was a little bit ill-timed. But nonetheless, this article, like I said, it was all about here's what went wrong with NASCAR. It talked about NASCAR losing TV viewers. It talked about the troubles that NASCAR is having filling the stands. And more importantly, it talked about NASCAR straying from the brand. And I struggle with that part only because I do understand NASCAR has to stay true to its roots. But then how do you attract fans with the old ways? You have to evolve. So that one is kind of a catch-22. The article also went on to talk about how NASCAR expanded into markets with super speedways in places like Las Vegas. And I want to read this quote because I think it sums up pretty much what this article is about. But there was a quote from former NASCAR executive Ramsey Poston, and he says the league was trying to enter new markets without the Southern stigma, a move that he calls a mistake. Quote, NASCAR seems to have run away from its Southern roots. In doing that, it's damaged its brand identity. For example, a brand like Jack Daniels, it has an outlaw connotation to it. It's clearly from the South and never has Jack Daniels apologized for it. But Jack Daniels, and and this is just my opinion, Jack Daniels has not apologized for it, but Jack Daniels has evolved. And that's why Jack Daniels is not necessarily associated with NASCAR anymore because it's evolved from that. And it 
is associated with NBA. And I'm sorry, but NBA is not a sport that you equate with the South. I 100% agree, but I have to disagree with straying from the roots because you have to evolve. You evolve or die. That is just the nature of life. I get the argument from diehard NASCAR fans that have been fans for 20 years. But then you're going, I don't, I, this is going to sound crazy, but at some point you're going to die. So who's going to keep the legacy of the sport on? Your children may not be into the things that you're in. I mean, we had this conversation, Renee and I, uh, what, last episode, podcast before last about how his son doesn't want to drive. And that's just the nature of it. Kids are into different things now. Saying all that to say, I'm not here to say who's right or wrong. All I am going to say is that you have to evolve. And NASCAR has to figure out how to evolve, what stand true to what it was and stand true to what it can be. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Renee, Don, chime in anytime. Yeah, go ahead, Don. I think that this is just NASCAR just, this is the one era where they didn't have a couple of guys ready made to market and put into the, you know, spotlight seat. So, you know, in the seventies, you had Petty and Pearson and Allison, but then towards the end of the seventies, you started getting Daryl Waltrip and Dale Earnhardt. And, you know, and then in the eighties, you had Davey Allison, you had kind of, you know, you kind of had guys following each other. So when Earnhardt started getting a little bit older and wasn't contending, then Jeff Gordon popped up on the scene. Then when Jeff Gordon started dominating, then Dale, Dale Jr., Matt Kenseth, Tony Stewart, that crop of guys, Carl Edwards, that crop of guys kind of came up on the scene. So you kept getting waves of guys that they could keep, keep building behind. And it just seems like with the recent departures of Tony Stewart and Jeff Gordon and Carl Edwards, that they haven't had enough time and with a bunch of these young guys driving Chevys and Chevys not doing well. They haven't built up the, those guys to kind of take over to say, hey, Chase, Elliot is the man because he's won four races or, you know, Brian Blaney is the man because he's got five career wins. They just haven't gotten to that point where they can be out front for NASCAR. It's good that they want to market them that way, but they don't have the the wins and the success to go behind it. Whereas, you know, Jeff Gordon won like seven races in a season, even though he didn't win the championship and everybody could see, you know what, that's the next guy coming so we can market him. Dale Jr., you know, the name and the big build up and the big marketing, they could, you know, build a whole campaign around it. That's NASCAR's thing. They're the best marketers in sports. They just haven't had anybody that they can really grab onto and push out there. And they're still searching for it. And it's got to be somebody young because, you know, Kyle Bush, he doesn't have the attitude for it. He doesn't want to always cooperate. Kevin Harvick probably has the attitude, but now he's a little older. So, you know, they got to find somebody who's good enough, young enough, wins enough, and wants to be able to be the face. And then when they get that, everything will fix itself. Yeah, you know, that takes me to uh, kind of back to my point, what I was saying earlier about Chase Elliott. It's uh, it, this, And you're right, this could be a completely different story if if Chase Elliott had maybe just as much wins as, as Kyle Larson has had. And uh, they could get behind somebody like that because he's a popular driver to the fans where they could they could get behind him and push him and push him. On the other side of that, which is weird because you, you look at somebody like Kyle Larson, who he's still young by all means, but I mean, he's got enough wins. He's been driving enough to where you go, well, 
he's kind of already like a veteran almost, you know, I mean, and he certainly drives like one. But so it's amazing how they they haven't gotten behind somebody like Kyle Larson. To, but I don't I just don't think Kyle Larson has has the I don't know, that it factor or the personality to for NASCAR to do that. Does that make any sense of what I, I don't know if that came out the way I wanted it to. But uh, right. Kyle Larson's attraction is on the racetrack. Yeah. Whereas a guy like Chase Elliott's attraction is in Hooters commercials and whatever commercials and, and also the racetrack. Yeah. He has that added thing that, that, that Larson doesn't give you if he doesn't have his helmet on. Now, if he has his helmet on, yeah, he's one of the best in the world, but without it on, I don't think 10 people would recognize him if they saw him walking down the street. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I agree with both of you guys in regards to NASCAR and his issues. I again, like I said, I'm not quite sure if it can be fixed, but I love the sport and I hope I hope for more diversity in the sport. That's the first thing. And not just, you know, the pit crews, because apparently there was the girl, Brianna, I think is her name. One car had two women in the pits, which I thought was great. But when I say diversity, I think sometimes it could be misconstrued that I'm talking about more POCs as in people of color. I'm not necessarily talking about that. I'm talking about diversity in a sense that not all NASCAR fans, including myself, like country music. I would like to see some diversity in a sense of stand true to what NASCAR is because you have that core fan base, but also understanding that you have a new fan base and you have other people that enjoy the sport that aren't necessarily country music fans or want to see some of the things that go on. And I mean, it doesn't bother me, but I would, I don't feel as if sometimes NASCAR doesn't do things to attract me, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like baseball. Baseball is one of those sports where if you like it, you like it. And if you don't, they could care less and they're not going to try to do anything to make you like it. Yeah, and that's why they're hurting. And I'm just, I'm not a huge fan of baseball. I, I wouldn't even consider myself a fan, to be honest. But I, I'm aware of what's going on in baseball. And I do go to my fair share of games and I enjoy myself when I go to the games. But I have a rule where I never get there before the third inning because I feel like that's first and second inning is what it is. I usually kind of creep in around the third or fourth inning and I have a great time at the games. But it's just like me and horse racing. I cannot buy a ticket for somebody to come to the racetrack with me. But I love going to watch the ponies. That is, I, I mean, I guess because I grew up going to the ponies, but I didn't necessarily understand what was going on when my grandmother used to have me in tow to the track. But now that I'm older, I get it. In fact, it's actually opening day of Del Mar, the racetrack that's kind of, it's closer to San Diego than it is to Los Angeles. But it's also on the opening night of Comic-Con. And I am going to, well, I'm torn because I have an event that on the 18th. But saying all that to say, I've been trying to figure out how can I stop at Del Mar and then go to Comic-Con because I enjoy horse racing. Now, horse racing doesn't necessarily do anything to invite me in. But when I get there, I feel comfortable because I know that there's something for everybody. So that's all that I'm saying, just not to go on another hashtag Tam's rant. I just feel that NASCAR could do a better job of doing things where everyone feels welcome and not 
so much segregation. And I hate to use the word segregation because, again, I'm not talking about diversity in terms of white, black, Mexican, or anything like that. I'm just talking about diversity in terms of inclusion for people who like things that aren't necessarily what NASCAR diehards like. We're going to skip the fan comment of the week because I feel like those driver comments were, they served their purpose, if that makes sense. Yeah, they sure did. (laughs) we're going to jump into some predictions. So I'm going to do something a little bit different today because I think I just love hearing myself talk. I don't know. But I'm going to give you guys my top or my past 10 winners at Kentucky because we're at Kentucky. Then I'm going to let Renee give us, well, I'm not going to going to let Renee do anything. Renee is going to give us his picks for Kentucky and then Don is going to give us his picks. So switching it up just a little bit for today, since we have a special guest. Right on. Our past 10 winners at Kentucky include, and these are not technically the past 10. And you want to know why? Because we've only been racing in the Cup Series at Kentucky since 2011. So I guess this is like our past seven winners, if that makes sense. Okay. That makes sense. Kyle Busch won in 2011, first Cup race at Kentucky. Brad Keselowski in 2012, Matt Kenseth, my man, 2013, Brad Keselowski, 2014, Kyle Busch, 2015, Brad K, 2016, and Martin Truex Jr., 2017. So it looks like for the most part, we've only had one, two, three, four winners at Kentucky because Kyle B and Brad Keselowski are multiple winners in the Cup Series in Kentucky. And because I'm sure you guys want to know, the Xfinity Series has actually been racing in Kentucky since 2001. They were racing a good 10 years at Kentucky before we started racing in the Cup Series there. And the Truck Series has been racing there since 2000. Now, some notables. Kevin Harvick actually won the first Xfinity race in 2001 at Kentucky. And Greg, Greg Biffle, hey, Greg, I miss you. Greg Biffle won the truck race in 2000. And just some notables, there aren't really that many notables for the Cup Series because we don't have that much history there. But in the Xfinity Series, Joey Logano, Brad Kozlowski, and Kyle B, as in Kyle Busch, they're all three times winners at Kentucky during for the Xfinity Series. Pretty cool, interesting facts. So on that note, Renee, oh, I forgot to say predictions. It's time for Tam and Renee's race predictions. Okay, predictions. <laughs> Renee, who you got? <laughs> All right. Well, here we go. We are in Kentucky, and um, I'm going to do something different, too, as well. And I know I've, I've said, look, I'm not going to start picking any of the drivers unless somebody outside of Truex Jr., Kyle Busch, or Kevin Harvick starts winning. Well, you know what? Eric Jones won. So he's somebody outside the big three has actually won a race. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to stay on this young driver trend here. I'm 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 going to keep it going with the young drivers and um and maybe not young. I mean he's still young by all means and I and I brought this point up earlier in, in the podcast, but I'm going to go with Kyle Larson believe it or not. I got a feeling that Kyle Larson is going to come out on top in this particular race in Kentucky. You know me Tam, I and Don you'll know this about me. I I I just go off of feel. I just go off of vibes. I thought, you know, for the most part this past weekend Kyle Larson had a good car. I I think he you know, had it not been for 
Stenhouse, it's possible Kyle Larson could have won. I don't think he would have won, but uh, he could have. But in this particular race coming up in Kentucky, I don't know for some reason, I got a feeling that Kyle Larson's going to put something together here and he's going to make it happen. He's going to walk away with a checkered flag. And if I have to pick a, an, an alternative choice, um, believe it or not, I'm probably going to just go with Kyle Bush maybe winning and pulling that out. But, uh, okay, Kyle so Larson you're back to the win. big three, even though you said yes. you weren't going to do anybody in the big Th- that's three. That's right. I'm going back to the big three. <laughs> okay, Don, we want to know who you got. All right. Um, based on your uh, past winners at Kentucky, it's going to be somebody driving a Toyota or a Ford. So as I narrow it down, I think uh, this is a track that Brad Keselowski does really well at. So he would be my first pick. And then my second pick would be Martin Truex Jr. Um, he's, uh, I think he won the last time and he should have won the time before that. Uh, he's done really well at this racetrack, uh, the last few years. So those are my two picks, Brad Keselowski and Martin Truex Jr. Uh-huh. Okay. Awesome well. picks and a great observation because for the most part, everybody who I read, whether it was the notables in Xfinity or the cup drivers were Toyota or Ford guys. Yeah, I didn't give you guys my picks. See, this is what happens when we try to do something different. We get a little bit confused. So I got confused and forgot to give you my picks. So I'm going to give them to you now. Drum roll, please. I want to go with Kevin Harvick. I want to go with Kyle Busch. I want to go with Brad Keselowski. There are a bunch of people who I want to pick. And here's why. Because the big three is hot. I felt that they were, you know, Daytona doesn't necessarily count because it is what it is. I mean, of course it counts, but low-key, Harvick was still kind of hanging in there towards the end. And then I do want to go with my man Clint Boyer because Clint was kind of right there. Now, I can't pick them all. Well, if I was in Vegas, I could. (laughs) I would just put money on everybody. But on that note, I'm going to pick Kyle. No, I'm going to pick Brad Keselowski. Because he was a little feisty and a little lit up, but he's not going to be my pick to win. He's definitely my alternative. My pick to win is going to be, this is tough, but I'm going to have to go with Kyle Bush or Martin Truex Jr. <laughs> okay, I'm going with Martin Truex Jr. <laughs> so for clarification, Martin Truex Jr. for the repeat, and he is my pick to win, and my alternative is going to be Brad K, as in Kislowski. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, there you go. Tam has got her picks. Don, he's got his picks. I have my picks. You guys, if you have picks, please hit us up on our social media across the board at Turns No Breaks. Let us know who you think is going to win. And Don, before I close out the show, I just want to thank you for coming on. I want to thank Tam for reaching out to you and uh, uh, coming on our podcast. We always appreciate the time of our guests to come on here, and especially you, Don. Thank you so much for taking the time again, like I said, of your busy schedule to take time to do ours. Thank you very much. I'm sure Tam feels the same way I do, and that we really do appreciate your insight, your point of view of how you see things and and what we talk about here on this show. Uh, So once again, I want to just say thank you again for coming on to our show, Don. Oh, man. Thank you guys for uh, being here and providing the NASCAR podcast, um, you know, so we can have something to listen to and have a chance to come on here and talk to you guys about. Um, thank you for the invite, Tam and Renee, for being such a, a gracious host. I'm very appreciative and I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thanks thank so much you. for listening, guys. So Make for sure- I want to do the closing. 
Oh, I didn't. I didn't know that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I know you didn't know because I'm doing things different. For I was gonna say for Tim and Renee, but I am Tim. So let me say it like this: For Renee and Don and myself, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. You'll listen next week. I don't know. Okay, Renee, you're supposed to say bye bye. Oh, bye bye. <laughs> bye sure everybody. Again. Bye bye. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> I got lost. I was like, what? <laughs> I know. Thanks so much for tuning in with Tam and Renee. 